Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, I just want to let you know today's text is from Luke chapter 10. If you want to grab that, we're going to be looking at a story we commonly call the Good Samaritan. You may have heard of it before. Um, this week, I asked people on um, Facebook, I said, hey, can you just respond with a seven-word summary of the Good Samaritan? And uh, some people went over seven words, but we're a church of grace, not law. So uh, I'm going to read theirs, too. Um, so here are a few of those uh, re- responses. Um, how you act determines who you serve. Now, some of you, you were counting, weren't you? You were like, one, two, three, four. Don't count, just listen. It's not a big deal. All right. How you act de- demonstrates who you serve. Doing good trumps just talking about it. The Lord commands us to help our fellow man, even a stranger. To love others equals loving Jesus and vice versa. Faith without works, like a screen door on a submarine. You have to think about that one for a second. Show kindness to those who reject you. Won't you be my neighbor? It was written. I thought I'd sing it. It's a bonus. Uh, Sacrificial love, godly and without earthly reward. Giving without conditions. What's mine is yours. Be God's love to your enemy's need. Stop and help no matter what. Be his hands and feet. Others might not. Share God's love at every opportunity. Risk everything to go above and beyond. Listen to God and be flexible accordingly. Serve everyone. God's fingerprints are on them. And you may have heard this last one before, but I saved it for last for a reason. Get off your donkey and help someone. All right. Those are some pretty good summaries of, uh, of the Good Samaritan. Um, but we're going to dig into it a little bit more. And uh, we, before we do that, let's pray. Uh, God, as we listen to your word, make it fresh and new to our ears and our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, 
Yes, now go and do the same. Our mission statement, love God, love people, and impact the world, is, is demonstrated here in this story that Jesus shared. And we understand the basic meaning of it. But for a few minutes, let's dig into this parable a little bit more. Um, we need to understand that the Jewish people typically thought of themselves in three groups. One was the, uh, the godly leaders, the priests. The second group was the godly helpers, the Levites. And the third group was the godly people. In other words, every other Jewish person. Um, and so when, when Jesus tells this story, they sort of understand what's happening. The man gets beaten up, um, and then a priest comes along. And a priest is a descendant of Abraham and of Aaron and of Levi. Really important group of people. And so the priest is going to be the hero in the story. You know, he comes along, but he doesn't help. And so they click to the next group. Okay, a Levite must be coming along. And a Levite is a descendant of Abraham and Levi. And so here comes the helper, the, the hero. But he also passes the man. So they click automatically to the third group, which is everybody else, every other Jewish person, right? They must be uh, the heroes of the story. It must be the common man, you know, the person who wouldn't go beat somebody up, the person who wouldn't rob them, but they're not the, like the religious leaders. They're not the holy helpers. You know, they're just your average, everyday, ordinary, godly person. And that's who they're expecting to be the third person in the story. And then Jesus sends someone coming down the road that isn't like them. This Samaritan is not part of their group. He's the wicked outsider. In John 8, 48, Jesus is accused of being two things. One, demon-possessed, and two, a Samaritan. And in the eyes of the people, those were pretty much the same thing. There was not a lot of love between Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus points out it doesn't matter what group you're in, what label you wear. It matters the way that you live out that great commandment that you mentioned to love God and love people. In this story here, we see three different approaches to our neighbors. The first approach is that of the thief. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. Now, most of us are not going to go out and beat up our neighbors and rob them, and so we, we pretty much are doing okay with this one, all right? So we get it. What about the next one? The second approach is the, the priest or the Levite. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. That one's a little more challenging. Might feel a little more uncomfortable for us. Now, why did the, the priest and the Levite pass by? I'm not totally sure. Some scholars think it's because they assumed that the man was dead, and they were not allowed to touch a dead man and go on with their priestly and Levitical duties. They would have been contaminated. Or maybe it was because they were afraid that if they stopped the help, the robbers would come back out and attack them. We really aren't sure, and Jesus doesn't say. I don't think Jesus really cared. His point is simply, there was a need. And these holy people, these godly people, just walked right on past. That brings us to the third approach, that of the Samaritan. What's mine is God's, and I'll share it. Now, this one, honestly, is hard to follow 
but it's how followers of Jesus must live. It's the only response that imitates God's love for us. Now, if you're like me, that's fine, but you want it to be a little more memorable. So we're going to make this even simpler. We're, gonna, we're just going to reduce each of these down to just one word. First, aggression. Now, I remember when I was in children's church and we did uh, the, the play, uh, a little skit of the Good Samaritan. And uh, a friend, or two friends of, of mine and myself, we were the robbers. I think it might have been typecasting, I'm not sure. So um, the little bandits that we were, we hid behind the rocks, also known as the metal folding chairs. And uh, at the appropriate time, we came out and we just started pounding on this guy. We probably actually did, I don't remember, but we probably did. So uh, then, um, I don't know, it sort of reminds me, for all of you nerds, we were kind of like these guys, the Tusken Raiders, right? In Star Wars? Okay, so that was us. Um, and then after we beat him up, we hid behind the rocks. I have no idea what happened after that because we were back there going, yeah, dude, nice job, yeah. You know, we were pretty excited about our role. I think we may have missed, just maybe, missed the point of the story. Now, again, I don't think most of us are going to go out and beat up our neighbors or rob them. But do you ever get angry with them? And Jesus said, you know, if you have hatred, it's just like killing them in your mind. Or do you ever envy the things that your neighbor has? I do. I do. And that's destructive to me. And it also destroys, it, it creates damage in the relationship that I would have with my neighbors. The reality is sometimes neighbors just do not get along very well. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, let's start that over. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies, probably because they're generally the same people. Aggression causes obvious damage. The next word, apathy, is less obvious, but can be just as harmful. Cyril Connolly wrote, slums may well be breeding grounds of crime, but middle-class suburbs are incubators of apathy. You may have heard about Polly Perrette, who plays a forensic scientist on the TV show NCIS, that she was attacked this week right outside of her home in LA, and her attacker punched her in the face repeatedly and said that he was going to kill her. As she was recounting the story, this is what she said, I was alone, terrified, and trapped. There was an empty garage behind me, and I knew if he got me in there, I was dead. I prayed my heart out. He started to punch me again, and then he said, get out of here, and I did. I went into shock collapsed on the sidewalk. Some guy walked right past me with a dog that licked my face. He was on his phone and annoyed. Did nothing. I need to heal. I almost died tonight. 
I texted my friend next door and my church cop friend. Aren't those haunting words? You know, her attacker was like the robbers, obviously. And the man who walked right past her with his dog was just like the priest and the Levite. He was too busy, he was too annoyed, he was too full of himself to help. Christian author Boditene said, Apathy is the glove into which evil slips its hand. Let's not fool ourselves. Apathy is insidious. Not caring about our neighbors can be absolutely devastating. And while we're on this point, let's address something related to it. The priest and the Levite, again, they may have passed by because they didn't want to be contaminated by this man. Sometimes Christians avoid their neighbors because they're afraid they're going to be contaminated by them. And it's especially true of our children. We have that attitude. Now, I understand that it's, we need to be wise. I completely understand that. I also understand that bad company corrupts good character. I understand that. But I also know what the Bible tells us, that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And we shouldn't worry about contaminating the world. We should be contaminating the world. We should be influencing the world. We should be making an impact on the world. It's kind of hard to do if you pass by people on the other side of the road all the time. Our impact is going to be the greatest when our, our connection, our love, our compassion, our caring for them is the greatest. We need to embrace the heart of active mercy or assistance. The Samaritan gave two coins to the innkeeper, and, and that could have been up to a week's worth of wages. I mean, imagine that. And then he said he would take care of the rest of the bill when he got back. And this man had invested his time, his resources. He was personally giving himself. Mercy is a verb. It's an action. I mean, we can say the priest didn't cause any pain. But he didn't give any help. The Levite didn't do any harm but he also didn't do any good. Saying, I'm not going to do any harm is not enough. Being a neighbor means doing substantial good. A neighbor isn't someone that you're stuck with. A neighbor is someone that you stick with. In his book, Generous Justice, Tim Keller writes, we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must Love your neighbor. James, in his letter, says this. 
chapter 2, starting at verse 13. There will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will, be, will win out over his judgment against you. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or a sister who needs food or clothing and you say, well, goodbye and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well. But you don't give anything to that person. What good does that do? Our actions prove our relationship with God. Actions speak louder than words. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I, I imagine the first question the priest and the Levite asked was this. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Actions are greater than words. And mercy is greater than judgment. Now, I don't drink coffee, <laughs> but I asked Teresa to pick up this uh, red cup for me. You may have heard something about red cups this week. I don't know if you heard that or not. Um, I would encourage you, by the way, when you come here on a Sunday, pop into the Global Cafe and get your beverages there. They're awesome. Um, but I, I don't know if, if you've really run into anybody who was offended by the red cup, but I haven't. I'm, I've heard all kinds of people talking about, I wasn't offended, and I haven't met anybody who was. But here's the problem. Somebody who was a Jesus follower was, and they got really mad and angry and violently loud about it. And doesn't that kind of depress you? I mean, you're like, really? problem is when people get mad about things like the cup from Starbucks and they say I'm following Jesus then people who don't follow Jesus look at all of us who follow Jesus as people who are legalistic and uncaring and without compassion and harsh and we know that's not the case at least not most of the time <laughs> but that perception exists which means there is a problem Here's the reality. In the eyes of many people, they think Christians are against them. They don't see us as for people. They see us as against people. Now, obviously, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to speak against sin. But we need to, to be for sinners because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And to change this perception, we're going to have to surprise the skeptics. And that's really what happens in this story. And again, we understand the point of the story. We get it. We have to be good neighbors. And not just to be good neighbors, but to imitate the example of Jesus. See, when you sacrifice for someone outside of your group, you follow the example of Jesus. You've heard this many times, and it's so good. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. 
And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Romans 5, 6 through 8 tells us that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us as sinners. He goes on to say, now, you know, there, there may be a time when someone will die for a righteous person, a person who does good things. But no one is going to die for a person who is a sinner. But God showed his incredible love for us in that very fact, that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. This week I got a, um, a letter from a guy named Gary. He was one of my youth group leaders when I was a kid. I used to be a kid at one point. And uh, he saw my Facebook post about, you know, the summary, the seven-word summary, and, and he sent me uh, a letter. And it, was, it told about a time when um, he had really major heart issues, and he had to go uh, have surgery, a quadruple bypass surgery. And uh, then after, after uh, the surgery was over, um, I just want to read from what, this, what he wrote in his letter. After nearly seven weeks, I was able to return to church. The sermon that morning focused on the Good Samaritan. I was reminded of previously learned lessons from that passage. We are frequently asked to put ourselves in the place of the various characters in this story, the robber, the priest, or the Levite, or the Samaritan. But we are hardly ever asked to place ourselves in the shoes of the, un, of the beaten man, the one who was the victim, the one who was helpless. But that is another lesson of this story. For all of us are broken, beaten, and lying in a ditch until Jesus comes along and takes us up and saves us. For this is something we cannot do on our own. All of us need to recognize. That's the end of his quote. All of us need to recognize that we are sinners, that we are saved by grace, that we need to embrace the sacrifice of Jesus that gives us hope for eternal life. Remember these words that we heard as we took communion together, celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus. Because I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. You are the Savior, and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. Good neighbors, we all want one, so let's all be one. But let's also recognize that we are the broken person in the story. And that only Jesus could come along and pick us up and save us and give us hope. And once we understand that message, we have the opportunity, the responsibility to share it with those around us. Right now we're going to be singing a song, and it's going to remind us of God's great mercy, his incredible love of the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you have never offered yourself back to him and said, Lord, I recognize that I need you to save me, you can do that today.
you can come forward and we'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll explain. We'll have whatever conversations we need to have. If the timing is right for today and you're ready, then we will immerse you and, and you will have a brand new life. You'll be in the arms of the one who can heal. For all of us, let's remember how much people need to know that God is for them and we are for them. Let's stand and let's sing.